Welcome back, everyone, to our part two of the co-ed killer. I am Alana. I am Lady. And this is Spooker. Part two. Part two. <laughs> All right. It's All part right. two. Your first part two. How are you feeling? I know. I'm nervous, to be honest with you. I'm like, oh my god, can I make can I make this next part just as good as the first part? I don't know. Knowing knowing what I know about Ed Kemper, I know that this one is going to be incredible. It's it's a doozy. It is pretty jam packed. I think I think the first part and the second part are equally eventful, just with the amount of stuff that happened. To be honest yeah, with you, I believe you. All right. Trigger warnings. We are covering a lot of different topics today. Um, so just kind of a blanket trigger warning for all of those, because it is a very brutal case. Um, mm-hmm. If this mm-hmm. is not for you, I completely understand. Um, this episode will include graphic descriptions of injury, animal cruelty, sexual assault, cannibalism, and necrophilia. Again, I completely understand these topics are difficult ones to stomach. And if this is not your episode, we will see you next week for Ladies Cult episode. We sure will. Like, and it's totally fine. This is, Ed Kemper is a lot. Ed Kemper is a lot, guys. So, like, do not feel bad if this is not the story for you. That is A-OK. We'll see you next week. I don't know if that'll be for you either, but. (laughs) (laughs) But But we will, we will see you in any other of the episodes. We have some really awesome ones that are very soft. We have great ones with the Bermuda Triangle. We have Taylor Poe. We have... All sorts. We have a, a lovely tale of Bonnie and Clyde if you would like to listen to that and dedicate six hours of your life to that. Absolutely. I highly recommend it. If you haven't listened to Bonnie and Clyde and you're at this episode, what are you doing? Go back and listen to Bonnie and Clyde. That's like the <laughs> highlight. That's the pinnacle of season one, I guys. Di- I disagree, but <laughs> I did end up talking for nine hours on that one, so it's fine. <laughs> well, your disagreement is noted, but <laughs> I still I stand by my statement. All right. Well, on, on that note, I'm going to give the mic rec back to you. Let us pick up. Let's pick up this awful pile of awful and get right um, back into it. Yeah, and get right back into it. All right, let's go. Perfect. So with that being said, let's go do a quick recap of part one. So in part one, we talked about Ed's early life, um, him moving in with his grandparents, which resulted in his first murder, him being incarcerated for the first time, um, being released back into the care of his mother, um, and then talking about his... I don't want to say his real first victims, but his first victims after being released again. Uh, We talked about um, Mary Ann Pesce, Anita Luchessa. Uh, We talked about Aiko Ku, as well as Cindy Shaw, who were unfortunately his next victims. God, they were, they were harrowing. I think Aiko and Cindy were, they were rough. It, yeah. Like I said from the beginning, that's, he really did some grisly acts and it was, it was hard to hear about, to say the least. Um, yeah. But there is some sort of justice at the end. So we will forge on in part two, and we will get to that resolution. So if you want to join me. Love it. Um, so as the next month rolled around, suspicion heightened in the area of the possibility of a serial killer. So I think this is around the time that the, the term serial killer was coined, because a lot of people were actually on the lookout because not only was Kemper an active serial killer at the time, there was two other guys. There was John Lindley Frazier 
and Herbert Mullen, which we'll talk about more later. I actually think I misquoted at the beginning when we were talking about Ed Gein. I think I was thinking of Mill and I said they were active at the same time. Ah. I will have to correct that. No worries. I, that just hit me. <laughs> it's all good. Uh-huh. Yes, so John, Linny, Fraser, and Herbert Mullen were also very active at this time in California. And so this kind of resulted in Santa Cruz receiving the very infamous nickname of the murder capital of the world. Yeah, I, California was pretty much serial killer hotspot number one. There were so many serial killers active from the 60s all the way to the 80s. Yeah. And it was, it, it, it just was rampant. Rampant. And this was 1973, so it was right at the height of that. It was, like, in the middle. People were very scared. They were very aware that a lot of people were out to get them. And that actually resulted also in the students in the area kind of being advised, hey, don't accept rides from cars without university stickers on them. Oh, they figured that no. would that would help, right? Oh, well, no. do you remember whose mom works for the University of California, Santa Cruz? Oh, but it's like serving people up. Like, they're just like, hey, don't trust that serial killer. This serial killer is homegrown. Yep. He's certified. He's USCS certified. Look, if we're going to get, if we're going to allow a serial killer amongst our midst, we're going to make sure he's one of us. God damn it. It's just, it's so. Are you, I said USCS, UCSC. US. That's the campus. UCSC. My brain goes USAA. I want, yeah, I like want to say that. I'm like, it's not in the right order. No. But it is. But yeah, he he had the sticker, which basically gave him a license to kill. Because people still trusted him. It quite literally did. Because people were like, oh, serial killers don't have stickers. Like, how did he get this? I can't, how did he? What? He must be no. a trustworthy guy. He's got a sticker, for fuck's sake. He's got a stick. They don't just give stickers to anybody. No. Okay? That's There's a whole background check vetting process that goes into getting these stickers. Yeah, this this, this is a sticker certified. Yeah, and... um. That really, that was the key to him continuing, to be honest with you, because I think had he not had that in, again, he had these ins with the police, he had his ins with the the highway department, he, time and time again, like, things were going bad, but he also, things were aligning so perfectly for him to be a serial killer, like, it's so weird. Yeah, it's, it's literally the perfect storm of serial killerism. It's, it is. It's, like, disgusting how easy it was for him to do. Like, it was easier for him to take the path of a serial killer than it was for him to do the right thing. And I, that's clearly, like, why he just... It was like, yeah, like, look how easy it is for me to just get away with this. Yeah, it was like, Ed Kemper, I want to be a state trooper. No, sorry, you're too tall. But here, you're going to be in the hitchhiking capital of the world. Serial killer is now is now coined. Bam, you have a sticker. You've already... Yeah. yeah. You've, you've already killed two people. You're already equipped. You've got a murder yeah. kit. We will lend you, you police equipment as for as part of your murder kit. Here you go, Ed Kemper. Go out and kill. Yeah, that sticker was, was all he needed to continue. And yeah, all access pass. Basically. Um, and on, fifth, on February 5th, 1973, after a rather heated argument with his mother, Kemper left the house specifically in search of possible victims. Uh, as usual, yeah, he literally was like, screw this conversation, I'm gonna go murder. Um, so as usual, he went looking close to the school's campus, and that's where he would encounter 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen, she went by Allison Lou. Uh, not long after picking them up, Kemper would fatally shoot the two girls, and with the two bodies still bloody in his car, this man drove straight past campus security through the gates. Excuse me? Did not even... With them in the back seat? 
that's what it sounded like. I, I mean, I, try, I tried Googling like more details on this, but it was hard to find an exact because it's all based off his recollection. But he, it said that yeah. he had them in the car. He shot them. Some reports said that he like covered them like with blankets, but it didn't say he like moved them at all. So at best, he just kind of like covered them and was like, no one will notice that. And then just drove straight through the gate and people just waved there. But bye, bye, Ed. Have a good day. Oh, that's that Ed guy. We love Ed. Yeah. Uh, it, it's... He's back to killing in, in twos, because that's how he started mm-hmm. as well. And it's like, that's such a, a it's a choice. It it's is. It's a confidence thing as well. It's like, I can 100% take two at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. The tragic part in this, in this one was, I don't remember which one of the girls, but one of the girls was very hesitant to get in the car to begin with. And the other one was like, no, come on. This guy seems so nice. And... And she talked her into it. So, like, it was oh. another one of those, like, this just was, like, so close to not happening that it hurts. Like, it's... <sighs> those poor muffins, it really. And they and they were probably they were probably debating it where it's like, no, it's dangerous. And then they probably looked at the car and were like, well, he's got a sticker. Well, he's got... Yeah, like you say, he's on campus. Like, he clearly, he got on campus. He has a sticker. Like, no one's... He's picking us up in yeah. broad daylight. Who would do that? Would and a killer do that? Yeah. Like he's 6'9". Like people would know if like he was up to something. Exactly. Like, yeah. And he's charismatic as we know. And like you said, I think I think maybe girls maybe found him a little charming. I don't know. I look at him and I'm disgusted by him, but maybe people found him attractive prior to knowing what he was capable of. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So again, Kemper kind of repeated the same process he did before. He brought the victims back to his mother house, but this time, he decided to behead them in the car, as to maybe not make a mess in the house. I don't know. So he then, I, I don't know his reasoning. He just decided to do it in the car this time. It's just so awful. Everything about this is so awful. It's, it's really grisly. Trigger warning. He carried their headless corpses into his mother's house again to have sexual intercourse with them. And he then dismembered the bodies further, as well as removing the bullets to prevent identification. Sure. God, I, I, it's he's so dumb. But then he's and so smart. But he's so smart, and it's just like, why do you have to be so smart when you're smart, and why do you, why are you so lucky when, when you're, you're so stupid? Dumb? Yeah, exactly. And that's really what it comes down to is like these moments that he's rolling nat zeros, like the world comes in and just rolls a nat twenty for him, and he somehow skirts by and it's like i don't really know how that's happening how do you get pulled over with a dead girl with two dead girls in your trunk and you just get to drive home yeah and uh, and it it really i'm sure it was connections i'm sure if the the campus security probably knew him it's like oh yeah that's just ed yeah it's just just ed his mom works here that that really like you said it just all the dominoes lined up for him to just do this and it's awful stupid universe dominoes (sighs) yeah so the next morning, um, he would discard their remains, and in March, some of Rosalind and Allison's remains were found by uh, Eden Canyon, and about a week later, more were discovered by hikers near Highway 1 in San Mateo County. So he okay. went far and wide to dis- to really try to get rid of the evidence. He really was like... Yeah. Unfortunately, he was kind of smart, which is like, ugh, it's so gross. You don't want him to be. No. And it's just like, but he knew, he knew the roads. He knew the places. He knew, and he knew where the others were. So he knew not to, to create a dumping ground. Ex- exactly. There was no links between any of these things. People weren't putting the pieces together. There was kind of like, like I said, there was other serial killers at the time. And, and there was rumors of the, the co-ed killer. That's what they called this person, this unknown killer out there as he's picking up these these hitchhikers and stuff like that. They, they were aware, but they also weren't sure exactly 
who like which victims belonged yeah. to which killer people were just going missing so it was a very yeah. scary time but at the same time these girls are still getting in the cars it's like i don't know i, I didn't live wow. back then i would never hitchhike now i don't know what the what the culture was like yeah, but we're we're in so anti-hitchhiker culture, so it's it's something you and I can't understand. Exactly, that's exactly. But like hitchhiking was just a way of life. That was just like yeah, like to get to from point A to point B, you hitchhike. And I think it would be hard to like switch yourself out of that mode, having like grown up that way. I'm sure some of these girls literally have been hitchhiking from the time that they were 15. Now they're college aged. They've been fine this whole time, and they're like, all right, there's a handsome guy yeah. that wants to give me a ride to my cut. Co- like I'm gonna let him. Yeah, and, and I'm sure these these women were probably amazing judges of character. Yeah. And unfortunately, Kemper was just charming as fuck. Yeah, and and he was tall, and he and he had the thing that people said to trust, and they were like, I have no reason to distrust this person. That's exactly. And, it. I, I, and it, it really was just the, the the universe dominoes just fell down a certain way. And I do think what played into it too is we're talking about the time period that this happened, and even now, women are taught to be very polite, right? So even yeah, even yeah. if your gut is telling you this is a not the right situation most of the time you're not going to be rude about it you are not going to cause a scene like even when dire situations happen i mean they're one of the most common ways of dying is choking because people literally when they're choking they get embarrassed and they go into the bathroom and go into the other room and then they die alone in another room that is so common so in this situation where people are actually watching and someone's offering to give you a ride in public you're not like you know you're standing there hitchhiking kind of kind of look like a bitch if you just pass them down for some reason and you're not like i don't think these women were like willing to risk that they're they're nice girls you know what i mean like that's, yeah that's not what you do nice girls don't say no no so let this be a psa um rather be rude than dead that's exactly be rude. please be a bitch, be a bitch. I, I would i would so prefer someone be a bitch to me and apologize later for being wrong than for someone to just blindly put up with disrespect put up with disrespect or suspicious behavior because society says don't be a bitch i think that played i I do think that that played into it looking at these like you said he's this big man you respect men you respect your elders that's the time period and he's telling you i am going to give you a ride and you're getting in this car and they do I think that really played a heavy part into, yeah. like, his quote-unquote charisma. I don't even know if he was that charismatic. I think it was yeah. just a part of the time. And, you know, it, it, going back to, to Aiko, like, like I'm sure there's so much of that where it's like, you're 15, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you don't know what's coming on. You, you've got, you're in a, a terrifying situation, but you've got this guy who's like, you need to listen to me. Yep. And you've got to list, do what I say. You've got to let me back in this car. You've got to, like agree to be bound up i'm not gonna hurt you while i press this gun to your ribs it's a lot of like i'm so uncomfortable and i'm so afraid but i can't be the one to be that i'm gonna stand up for myself i'm gonna do this it was like they're not taught to be bold she was never taught to be bold like that she was the one that started crying wasn't it yeah she started screaming and crying so i mean like that was her reaction she had one and when she realized she was put in a corner she did i think the only thing she really felt to do but I wonder if he tried, he made her feel bad for feeling that way. Yeah, like oh, she, I'm sure. If, if she flagged, she was just like, I'm in a dangerous situation. She screamed and started crying. He probably was like, why are you being a fool? Yeah, and that's what, he literally turned the cards on her and was like, no, I want to die. How dare you feel in danger? Like, I want to die. Like, he he made her feel bad for him. I need a friend. Why don't you want to be yeah. here for me? It's it's manipulation. He was yeah. a manipulative bastard. It wasn't charm. Simple. It was manipulation. Like you said, that's really... Yeah. 
And, you know, maybe the charm, if he was charming, maybe the charm played into it. But at the end of the day, Ed fucking Kemper was a manipulative asshole. He was. That's it. And that's it. He was. And, um, yeah, he was all too good at, uh, at what he was doing. So despite the fact that these girls' remains were actually found, there was still no evidence actually linking any of these crimes back to Ed. So I'm sure at this time, it really was only making his confidence grow, and I really feel like at this point he probably felt pretty untouchable with the connections he had within law enforcement. He had already killed all these people, and they were finding bodies, and they were still, nothing was being traced back to him. So he's like, I don't even, like, he, he probably was just feeling very confident, very cocky. And, um... Yeah, I felt, just, I'm sure he felt invincible. Yeah, truly. Where he's like, I'm like almost like in like a god status where he's taking other people's lives, but he's untouchable. Yeah. It, and as my sixth grade math teacher once told me, your overconfidence will be your undoing. That's very true. <laughs> it's very true. So um, before we move on to the final case, um, I do want to go over a chilling conversation that Ed had with his sister, actually, in April of 1973. Um, it's one of those situations that afterward, you just kind of look back and go, wow. Um, so, these are her words. Um, their nickname for Ed was Guy. So when you hear me say Guy in this, I'm referring to Ed. That is his family's nickname for him specifically. So Guy and I discussed uh, then one day when mom and I went to university to borrow a movie projector so I could show a movie that I had bought from, brought home from Montana. There was something said about Mullen firing his attorney because he had long hair, and I asked Guy if he thought that Mullen had done the co-ed slayings too. He said that he didn't because none of them were similar in any way to how his victims had been shot. Then the subject was dropped. That is very... I've got I've got goosebumps. They're kind of like crawling up my ribs right now. It's like, man, it's kind of great. Like you said, she, they literally like at, like there's other serial killers going on. They're talking about Mullen. They're like, and they're just literally just like, yeah, do you what do you think about this? And he's just like, oh, no, he's having casual conversations about things. Yeah, I he's don't done. think he did it. Yeah, because he knows who did it. Yeah. She would go on to say, the first weekend I was there, Guy went to Turlock and picked up his fiance and brought her home to mom's. We went to San Francisco that weekend. Uh, I, Kemper's fiance, and Guy, along with the road, uh, al and along the road he mentioned that down there, pointing to the right, was where they had found two girls propped up against something I don't remember the exact area. We drove along the coast, but this was a hilly section inland just a bit. I believe it was just south of San Jose. Another time I commented on the girls hitchhiking, and I remember they weren't too bright considering what happened and the particular ones I mentioned were really dressed shabby. He said that it was strange because some of the co-ed he some of the co-eds killed were very attractive girls, not hippie looking at all. I think this was mentioned at the time that the conversation about Mullen was discussed on the way to the university. Then the subject changed. He didn't say or do anything strange or comment any more, uh, more than anyone might comment because of what had been happening. Um, but then one day when we were driving home from Aptos along, along the beach toward Santa Cruz, just sightseeing, Kemper pointed toward the beach and mentioned that a girl's head was washed up along there. No more was said, and that's all he brought up. Wow. It, it almost sounds like he wants to tell them. It, 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 well, he, like, like you said, he kind of, I feel like, wanted to have that conversation. It was bubbling under the surface, but he just, like, obviously couldn't admit it. 
he yeah. kn he knew because of like all his psychiatric everything else. The minute he actually admits out loud that he has even fantasies of killing, he's going to be sent back. Like he's a, he's oh, yeah. very aware of that. Yeah, it's head fucking Kemper. Like I, it's it's very haunting. It's it's the fact that you know he's almost open with information, but he's not giving it away anything that you know a regular person wouldn't already know. Which is. It, once again, it sucks. It's smart of him. Which, like, that he's not giving away only only things he would know being the culprit. Exactly. He's just like, oh yeah, like a head was over there. It's like... Like, that was reported. Like you said, someone found that head. But it's like, why are you bringing that up? Like, why are we, like, we're passing this? And you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's, it's that's not a normal conversation starter. Thanks, Ed. I think it was like... He, he, I, I think he, he genuinely wanted to talk about it. Maybe he wanted to tell them, uh, but he—I don't know. It's—it is a very haunting conversation. It's, and I'm sure the hindsight of all of that as well. Can you imagine having that conversation and then a little bit later finding out that he actually was responsible. He was the one. Exactly. Ooh, absolutely insane. And um, so we've already kind of gone over all the silly mistakes that he has made and all the close encounters that he has had with law enforcement up until this point. But there is one more incident, and it's kind of a doozy. Um, so I mentioned before that his past kind of caught up with him a little bit. Um, so just a few weeks before his final act of violence that also took place in April 1973, um, Santa Cruz Sheriff Sergeant Michael a Aluffy was in uh, instructed to confiscate a gun illegally in the possession of an Aptos man. Who was that man? None other than Edmund, Edmund Emil Kemper III himself. This was a routine bulletin sent from the California Department of Criminal Investigation and Identification, and Ed's name happened to be on it because he had illegally purchased a 44 Magnum revolver um, and falsely swore that he had never been in prison. This is... this tips me off like this just brings me back to my earlier statement that i made way back in the in the beginning i wonder if his murder kit was made of borrowed items yeah it, it really where and you know he was borrowing like maybe for his first couple of early kills he borrowed a gun from his cop friends and then when this quote-unquote co-ed killer started gaining a reputation I wonder if his cop friends were like, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't give you my gun. I need it just in case I find the co-ed killer. So he was forced to get his own gun. Yeah. Which then caused this flag. I wonder it that, it, like, I can't help but think that way. Yeah. I mean, he did have, from what I read, he had at least three different guns in his possession. So I don't know which, yeah, where and he obtained maybe, them. Maybe he was friends with the gunsmiths. Maybe he asked his friends to buy them. I know that was a common serial killer trick. They yeah. would get their friends to buy them guns for them. Mm -hmm. So the gun would be in the friend's name, but then they would be like, here you go. Here's the yeah. the right of sale. Or, yeah. or he stole the gun. Or, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I mean, in this case, knew. he literally just said, yeah, no, I've never been to prison. And they went, great. Good job. Here you go. Here's your gun. Have a great That's time. background check. Mm -hmm. Sorted. They just asked him. Nice it was a yes or no. Kemper. True or false. And he got it right. Yeah. So he got a gun. And um, we're going to have to give you a very thorough examination for the use of this gun. Question number one, have you ever been to prison? That's literally all it took. And they handed him his 44 and he was good. Um, but if, not, uh, you know, for a while up until this point. So they, they came 
to try to confiscate it. Um, however, this, when the sergeant drove over to the listed address, he found that no one was home. Just as he had turned around and was walking away, up pulled a yellow Ford right behind the officer, and inside was Kemper and his fiance. So, finally going to have a conversation. They began to question Kemper about the gun that he shouldn't have. All the while, Ed was kind of sweating a little bit because this is kind of similar to when he had dead bodies in the car. He has multiple guns that he shouldn't have strewn throughout his house. He has one in his car. He has one in his closet. He, like, he has a different one in his car and a different one in his closet than the one we're asking for. So at the same time, they're like, hi, we heard you have a gun. And in his head, he's like, well, I have multiple guns. Which one are you talking about? Who, what, which gun? Yeah, Uh. and you can't just, you can't just ask the police that. You can't just be like, well, which one? Because that answer. So somehow with his chummy ways with the police he makes some sort of sly comment about well that's kind of a small gun or something like that and they go well it's a 44 magnum and so right not a small gun and they just give it away that that's the gun we're looking for and he goes okay that gun great thank you oh my god and in addition to all these guns he's also sweating a little bit because inside his closet right next to a gun that he's got propped up he has a box full of mementos from his killings Oh my god, he's a trophy collector. He is. Oh my god. So. I completely forgot about that. They're standing right outside, having this conversation, and he's like, yeah, let me, I'll get you the gun, I'll get you this, somehow. So sorry, officer, Pups accidentally got accidentally, a 44 Magnum. Yeah, I accidentally lied. I, I should have remembered that time I went oh. to prison. How could I forget, silly me? Oh, if that's the question they asked. I thought they said, do I own a prison? No. <laughs> I so, so, so sorry. sorry. She, yeah. The clerk had an accent. I was just really confused just, that day. I was dr- I was drinking while driving as well. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let me go get you that murder machine. Yeah. So I I mean I read this section a few times and it's still kind of baffled. I don't know how to properly explain how he got out of this conversation. Um, so all as I can say is, uh, if only they would have caught him here. Yeah. If, if only. If. Man. So man, oh, that man. very same month. April 1973, Ed Kemper would commit his final two murders. It was Good Friday, and Ed had decided to hang out at his mother's home. Uh, He waited for her to return home from work, Um, but she had actually gone out straight after and did not return home until about four in the morning. Oh. After returning home early that morning, 52-year-old Clarnell awakened her son with her arrival. I don't think it was... Like a nice wake up. I think it was she was loud and drunk, and I think she came home and he just got woken up. Yeah. And because of that, or in spite of that, or just because he was awake and they were in the same room, the two allegedly had a very unpleasant exchange before Clarnell would just head off to bed. I, I feel like that's par for the course. If the two of them are left alone in a room and one of them is mildly inconvenienced, some sort of fight is breaking out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. This is a toxic, toxic relationship. It was. So, it was after she fell asleep. Ed Ed specifically waited. He has been fantasizing this, I think, since it said he was about eight years old. He has been having this specific fantasy of creeping into his mother's room and bludgeoning her with a hammer. And that's exactly what he did. The hammer? While she lay asleep. He crept into her room with a claw hammer and struck her as hard as he could over the head. And this is where it gets really dark. So we're going to give another trigger warning here um, for grotesque violence um, as well as necrophilia. All of the above. All of the above. Just 
it, be prepared. Um, yes. So after bludgeoning her, he would slit her throat with a penknife and decapitate her. So with a pen knife? He decapitated with a pen knife? Yeah. Um, the, the effort that that would take. Yeah, it was pretty bloody. And um, just like his earlier victims, he decided that he wanted to engage in sexual acts with his mother's head. But this time, he specifically cut out her larynx and put it down the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal, you know, they're not really equipped for that type of tough tissue. And so after he ran it, it spit the tissue back up into the sink. And um, Kemper actually later specifically said this. Again, I'm not trying to quote him too much, but this was this was a quote. He said that seemed appropriate as much as she'd bitch and scream and yelled at me over so many years. Kemper also later stated that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for about an hour. He had a lot of pent-up rage, as as well as decided to use it as a dartboard until ultimately he smashed her face in. So, he... He is an animal. Yeah. This is brutality. This This is vicious. This is just rage. This is this is twenty plus years of anger and hatred and animalistic desires and and just everything that he's learned up until this point just coming to a head. And it and almost it, it almost seems like every killing up until this point, like this is the person that he actually wanted to kill this whole time. Yeah, I. It's so awful to say, but like every killing up until this point was a warm up. That it was, it was a trial run. It was. This was. This was his finale. This was what he wanted to actually accomplish. He hated yes. his mom, and he wanted her dead. Like I said, this is actually a fantasy that he admitted to having from the the time before he even hit double digits in age. He imagined hurting his mother because of the lack of love that he gave her, or that she gave him, and just the toxic relationship that they had. Yeah, and it's it's base it's being in a pressure cooker with no pressure release. It's just constantly putting a lid on on a situation that needs to be just gone. It needs to be removed and it, it's it yeah, these poor poor women, the these these nine other people that have had have died so that he could finally get the person that he wanted to kill all along. And that's exactly it. And I, I even recall him stating, I know you said some of these girls potentially reminded him of his mom. Part of it too was he would kill these girls. He, he mentioned they were, they were pretty, they were well-dressed. They, he was trying to destroy the things his mom loved and that his mom coveted. She had yeah. these two daughters that he prayed that she praised so heavily for being all these things that he wasn't. And he, in a way, whether he was taking it out directly on his mom or just destroying the things that she loved, that was a part of it for him too. He said, and I and I'm sure, like, because because his, his mom was a teacher at the school, so hurting her students and hurting people who would could become his mother later, you know, yeah. people who dressed like his mother, people who looked like his mother people who behaved like his mother well-educated women who were not pushovers who were 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 smart were were quick were were full of life full of love 
things that he saw in his mom that he wanted from his mom that she never gave to him. Exactly. And he was going to take it away from someone else. And he was going to hurt his mom. And he just, he just basically he set him up, himself up for it. He did. And it, all of this was just a lead up for, for this, really. And just like you said, the most fucked up way. This was all just warm up. Yeah, and he finally it's... did it. He did what he wanted to accomplish. But yeah, it doesn't yeah. make it better. No. So. It's just, it, what was the point? What was the point of all this? Yeah. What was the point? So trigger warning over. Um, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome um, back, everybody. Yeah. So after after this ordeal, uh, Kemper hid his mother's body in a closet before once again leaving to go get a drink at a local bar where he tried to think of a plan. Um, so he had landed on the idea to make it look like his mother had actually gone on a vacation with a friend. So he plotted of how to make that happen. When he returned home to his mother's house, he phoned his mom's best friend, Sarah Taylor, or Sally Hallett, um, and had her come over under the guise of having dinner and watching a movie. This is so reminiscent of his first murder. Yeah, where he's like, there's like some sort of like a mercy killing almost, but he's like, he has to, I don't know, like it's weird. Like there was no reason for this. But it's also like the first, his first two murders, the grandparents, the, the grandmother was this just lashing out of anger and violence and just dislike mm-hmm. and it and it bubbled over a murder was killed or sorry a murder was committed yeah and then he's just stood there and he's like what do i do yeah how do i not get in trouble for this yeah it's the exact same thought process it's like whoops i did something i i lost control and somebody's somebody that i can't explain is dead now what do i do and he's scrambling yeah. and in his brain at this point this was the way forward was he people asked his mom went on vacation, and he would leave. So, the minute that Sally returned to the house, he ambushed her and strangled her to death. Uh, he put her corpse in the closet next to his mother's, um, and then he cleaned the house as though to obscure any sign of a struggle. So it's, it's so his grandparents' violent rage, panic. What do up. I do? How do I not get in trouble? Very simple killing afterwards of like, whoops. Yeah. I, let me let me just tidy this up. Like this killing, we'll cover this killing, and I'll sweep this under the rug, and we'll move on. Yeah. And like that's in his head. That'll work. Yeah, and, and you know, and the poor fucking Sally probably didn't even know that his uh, that Clarnell was dead. He probably didn't want her to know. You know what I mean? Like kind of the yeah. similar. Like you said, he's like, I don't want to put her through that. I just need yeah. her body to cover this body up, and it's kind of like this. This is the one person who would actively look for my mother. Yeah, who would miss my mother? So, it's 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 like a weird fucking mirror of his grandparents. It is so strange that these are the bookends. Yeah, these are the bookends of Ed Kemper. It starts one way and it ends exactly the same. And they're both with family. And they're both with family. And it's just man, Ed it's fucking Kemper. Ed fucking Kemper. So he, like I said, he cleaned the house and he ended up staying the night at the house. So the next morning is actually when he decided to leave, but before he did, he would write a note to the police. It read, Approximately 5.15 a.m., Saturday. No need for her to suffer any more at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher, he put in quotes. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incompetent, gents. Just a lack of quote-unquote time. 
I got things to do with three exclamation points at the end. And he left. And he left. From his mom's house, he would drive nonstop over a thousand miles to Playboy. Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills the whole time to keep him awake. He just drove straight a thousand miles. Oh my god. I think he must have been emotionally shot. So I think at this point, this was, he was waiting for his mom. Good Friday was April 20th. April 21st is actually the day that she died because it was five in the morning. That, That next morning after she had come home and she was already asleep and he waited for her to go to bed. That same day, I believe, is when he invited Sally over still on the 21st. He left the next day on the 22nd. I think at this point when he's arriving, it is now the 23rd. From his mom's house, he took with them the three guns that he had and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car. He still had all three guns? He didn't have to turn away the fucking Magnum? I I don't actually know. But he was expecting a Bonnie and Clyde style shootout with the police. He felt that there was going to be a manhunt ensuing for him and that he was going to go out in a blaze of glory. So he packed all the ammunition he had, all the guns he had, started chugging caffeine pills and took off to Colorado to try to try to avoid. I don't really know what he was doing, what his plan was at that point, because actually like on his way there, after not hearing any news about his mother and his friend, when he actually arrived in Colorado, the first thing he did was find a phone booth and he called the police department himself. Yeah. I think for the first time in his killing spree, he didn't have a plan. No. I think every, he was just going. Every murder, he, you know, he was like, commit murder on Thursday. Just dismember the body on, on Friday. Have dinner with, with girlfriend. Uh, bury body on Saturday. Have meat meet for, for, for drinks at the bar on Sunday. It, yeah. It, his everything was meticulously planned out by time, by requesting time off from work. He was very calm through the whole process. And this was the first time for probably 10 years since he killed his grandparents where he was like, fuck, what do I do? I can't call my mom. Not just that, but this, I think, what, like you said, if this was the end goal, what else is there to do? I mean, he, he yeah. accomplished what he wanted. So at this point, he was he was ready to be turned in he he called the police department and he made a full confession about how he killed his mother but get this they didn't believe him yeah i they said not not our big ed our favorite civilian pal from the jury room that that big ed no no way no thought and they literally did not take the call seriously and they told him to call back they hung up on this man and said call back we don't have time ed we don't have time for your 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 jokes that's not funny You don't joke about things like this. This is not, oh, oh, Ed, this isn't oh, Ed territory. If somebody calls you and it's like, hey, I killed somebody, that's not joke territory. You're like, you you yep. put yourself in, in, a, in, a, in a place, like, do not move. We are coming to get you. Do ne- That is never, ever I, a joke. I don't know why they didn't take him seriously. Like you said, just that relationship that he had. The fact that at this point he still confessed and could have gotten away with it. He could have at this point said, you know yeah. what, I tried. I tried. The universe doesn't want me in jail. And he could have just kept going. He could have... Ed Kemper could have fucking walked into the sunset never to be seen again. He would have just been the co-ed killer. We would know nothing. And that's exactly it. But the fact that he did exactly what they asked. Several hours later, Kemper tried again. This time, though, he went, I'm going to be taken seriously. And he specifically asked to speak to an officer that he knew personally. He again confessed the killings of his Sally and his mother. And this time, whether they believed him or not, the police officer had said, stay where you are and we'll come pick you up. Once they came and picked him up, though, they started to really get his confession. 
He also confessed to the murder of the other six students. Police were baffled, but the only reason that they believed him was because during these interrogations, he was able to prove he, he led them to all the evidence they needed. They said He said, yeah, I got this head in my backyard. I can tell you where everything else was. I can tell you details of the crime you haven't released to the public. What do you want to know? Yeah. Man, oh, man. And that's, I mean, even exactly like we're discussing, actually. When asked in an interview later why he actually did decide to turn himself in, Kemper said the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling a folly of, of the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it off. Yeah. It's, it's, again, this is where I said at the beginning, justice is kind of served, but is it really when he just asks to be go, like, go to jail? When this is on his own volition and it's not a punishment to him, he's just going back to a place where he's gonna live you know. his life and be revered for helping all these psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, like you know I don't know if that's if, if I feel good about that I I feel like no like you you kind of want there to be a dramatic like we finally got you Kemper we, we, we got you surrounded you know like yeah, come, come in with your hands up yeah but it's also this was probably his first moment of clarity in, a, in 10 years yeah. You know, after prison, this was probably his moment where, you know, he he had this this feeling. He's like, I'm going to commit this crime, and and he did his. I don't want to say he did his best, but he measures were taken where his mother wasn't in direct proximity, where he couldn't act on these urges. So he took them out on other people, mm-hmm. and then he went to prison, and they were like, Ed accidents happen i'm so sorry yeah becca you get a second chance we'll expunge that from your record like out you go buddy like yeah. you're you're cured of everything that you've ever felt and he's like okay and he's just all these all these learned is how to hide it all he's learned is how to how to talk to people and how to play the system and how to psychoanalyze people with with whatever skills tools he has and he's just living in this state of it's almost like, you know, like he's at the starting line of a race, but the gun never fires. He's yeah. just waiting for that moment. And eventually he shoots the gun himself. It's, yeah. That's all it is. And it, t- it took so many false starts and so many tra- practices and so many trial runs. And, 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 and he was telling himself, he was calling his, 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 his eight other victims, or, or sorry, seven other victims. He, they were just they, it's objects, because he had to remove who they were to put his mom over them it's true and it's and it's and it's it's awful like so much needless death when if he had if, well, after he killed his grandparents if he had just stayed in prison that's it just... eight people who would still be alive and it could Absolutely. have been amazing people they could have been doctors lawyers humanitarians presidents politicians they could have changed the world they could have made something incredible and they were cut short because somebody had a bone to pick with his mother. Literally. Like, it's, it's just tragic. And mommy issues led to this. Yeah. Like, it's as simple as that is to say. It's just like, wow. And, like, and the psychologist in the prison even, like, said as much. They were like, yeah, you've got, you've got issues with your parents. 
and, and then, they, but then they just threw them right back in with the sharks. Like they're like yeah. they're like, wow, that really is what fucked you up. Well, guess you got nowhere else to go. Let's just send you right back there. And it's like, are you serious? It's like, oh yeah, but he's like he was a model pr- like prisoner. He was so well behaved because his parents weren't there. Yeah, his mom isn't in prison with him. His dad's not in prison with him. He's on his own, sufficient and living life independently outside of that environment. And then as soon as he's put back in there, that's when the killing starts again. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, when he was released, if he had stayed separated from his mom the entire time, if he, like, I I can't say for sure. He probably would have killed someone at some point. Yeah, I think that would have bubbled over. But him being in prison and just away from the situation in general, completely removed, maybe that would have done it. I don't think he would have ever achieved that on the outside on his own. But maybe with the help of actual psychiatrists and being surrounded by in an environment where he can't physically arm people like that's that maybe is what's best for him and that's at this point where he's at yeah so you know yeah camper 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 um so on may 7th 1973 kemper was indicted on eight counts of first degree murder uh, during the wait for the trial, Ed would attempt suicide uh, twice, but was unsuccessful. He was assigned chief public defender of Santa Cruz County attorney Jim Jackson. Ed gave explicit and detailed accounts of the events during his confessions, which left the counsel with the only option of pleading not guilty by reason of insanity. However, three separate court-appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally sane, somehow. Um, one I of mean- these... Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've got wherewithal to make active decisions like that, that's not insanity. That's just maliciousness. Yeah. One of, one of the psychiatrists specifically, Dr. Joel Fort, um, investigated his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was once psychotic, but he said, nope, not anymore. Um, and so this is going to be another little trigger warning. This is where the cannibalism comes into play. Oh, good. Um, I was wondering so, where that was going to show up. Yeah, it's it's alleged. He's went back and forth. On, he's confessed and then recanted, and he's confessed and he's recanted. But he's also said he's had a lot of fantasies of cannibalism, and it's mixed. This is, this is also a sketchy confession because this same doctor also had interviewed Kemper at one point under truth serum. So he testified to the court that Kemper had confessed to engaging in cannibalism, alleging that he sliced flesh from the legs of his victim, uh, then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. But this confession, like I said, was later recanted by Kemper. So I don't actually know. Yeah, truth serum is a bit of a, it's a bit like um, a polygraph test. Mm -hmm. Like truth serum... It's more, I, from what I understand of it, and I'm not looking, I haven't looked into it act recently, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's not one that makes you want to tell the truth more. It makes you more compliant. Yeah. And that's what I've heard and, too. It just makes you agreeable. Yeah. And it, it's more like, like if someone, if someone's, especially if they're asking leading questions, if they're just like, did you do this? And you're like, probably. Yeah. Like, and did you do it this way? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I must have. Uh, yeah. And then did you do this afterwards? Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Yeah, and it's, I mean, if these are already fantasies that he's having, and they're kind of like you said, asking leading questions, and he's under truth serum, I can yeah. see how very easily they would get to that point of getting that quote unquote confession from him. Yeah. The reason that I found this kind of strange too was, I mean, he was very open and willing to take responsibility for 
everything else that he did. He was almost proud of it in a way. So yeah. I feel like, why would he draw the line at cannibalism if that was the case? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that would be the one thing he was, like, in, either embarrassed or he didn't want to take credit for. Yeah. I don't know. I, like I said, it, that didn't make sense to me. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of swinging to the way of, like, that was probably more leading questions and, and agreeable chemicals in his body. But, like, just because you don't do cannibalism doesn't mean that your crimes are any less like oh absolutely not yeah no but that was just something they were trying to use as a point to prove that he was insane but it was such a sketchy confession goosey wiggly woo exactly so regardless of that the actual trial itself would go ahead on october 23rd of 1973 so not too shortly afterward um and california did exactly kind of what you said they used what is called as the mcnaughton standard which held that for a defendant to establish a defense on the ground of insanity it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act the party accused was laboring under such a defective reason from disease of mind as to not know the nature and quality of the act that he was doing or if he did know it that he did not know what he was doing was wrong so basically he didn't understand what was right from wrong but they were able to to point out that no he he knew that this was wrong i mean he fled from the scene afterward like he Fully confess. The, like there's there's things that he did that show he was guilty. Yeah, the, the, from what I understand of of like defend the, the insanity defense, it's more like it happened. It was a very quick moment, and an act happened that was like completely out of the blue, completely against their characteristics. They had no wherewithal to what they were doing, or that what they were doing was right and wrong. And then they kind of they leave, and then their clarity comes back, but they don't really recall or understand what they've done. But the fact that Kemper planned this out with Thursday was murder day. Friday yeah. was dis- uh, was a disassembly day. Saturday was hang out at the bar. Sunday morning, scatter body parts and then go yeah. to dinner with, with fiance. It's like, because everything happened, it's such a wide window. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not valid. No, and but he did try to claim that on, on specifically on November oh, 1st. Oh yeah, they when, always do. Yeah, when Kemper took the sand to himself, he testified... Um, that he killed the victims because he wanted to quote unquote he wanted them for himself like possessions um, and he attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant ab- an aberrant mind he said that the two beings in ha- that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over it was kind of like blacking out like you said so he was in a completely different state he doesn't even remember he can't be held accountable for that because it's the other half it's the killer half of his soul yeah. taken over it's not that's- ed it's not big nice ed it's killer yeah. ed that's doing those things yeah it's not big ed it's killer eddie yeah no exactly and so that's exactly what he tried and, and it's it's crazy that he's that smart because you know he's not insane he's just smart he knows the system he knows exactly what you just said and he knew how to make that defense plea luckily it didn't work um his own sister actually is one of the people that testified against him um alan kemper she revealed under cross-examination that both she and her mother actually thought kemper might have been involved in the death of cynthia Stahl. she testified that she asked her brother directly whether he had anything to do with the killing and he flat out told her no but I was afraid you might be suspicious because of that cat thing. My mother had already asked me about it, and I'd appreciate it if you didn't bring it up again because it will just stir things up. What? You're, 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 you're just is- accused. You're just 
you're just accusing me because I killed like those cats, aren't you? Yeah, like, uh, that's so unfair of you. Just because I've hurt innocent animals doesn't mean I would hurt innocent humans. Like, that was what do you his, take me for? That was his reasoning. He's like, no, and my mom already asked about it before, and I just I didn't want you to. No, it's so I don't appreciate that tone of voice. It's like. Like it was, yeah, no, that quote like kind of made me laugh a little bit. But he's just like, and I would appreciate you not bringing it up. Like, and just, just kind of stir something up. It's like, yeah. okay, like, what well, am I going to stir up? Your confession? Like, I'm so the, sorry. Yeah, like, you're already on the hook for eight murders, my guy. Like, me, what? So, <sighs> yeah. So clearly, she didn't bring it up. Um, under questioning by District Attorney Peter Chang, she also revealed that she herself was almost killed by Kemper. Um, this too happened in Montana, and she explained that um, Kemper clearly always had had an interest in guns and one day as she was walking through the living room she heard a click. As she turned she said that a bullet from Kemper's 22 rifle whizzed past her ear and buried itself in a bookcase and he, he went oops, I thought it was empty. Oh, okay, sure, yeah. So just, this is so Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> It's it's them like cleaning the guns in the garage and then them firing into the ceiling at like two a.m. and it's just like oops I thought, I thought the I thought safety was, was on I thought those guns yeah. were empty it's like you don't point guns at people and even this, if you think they're empty right in this case though I mean it does kind of beg the question did he actually think it was empty or was he like maybe like kind of showing his sister like look how easy it would be for me to kill you like I don't I don't know like was this an accident on purpose was this was he actually trying to aim at her and she just turned her head and it just went straight past her i, I don't know. know i don't know I, like I, I part of me is like no that was on purpose because he's a fucking monster yeah i want to say it's on purpose too <laughs> but then the other part of me is like what if he was making the decision he's like another another family member down the line but then he, as she turned around because that was the thing the bullet he, flew past her as she turned around mm-hmm. and i and he likes to shoot people from behind his he does it's a very impersonal thing don't look at me while i'm killing you or be yeah asleep, i be asleep i while can't I'm killing you. i can't see who you are when i'm murdering you that's very mm-hmm. unfair of you to identify as a person while i am like smothering the life out of you yeah i don't want you to be mad at me and i do wonder like the click might have been the aim but because she turned around, he identified her as like, oh, I know that person. That's a person. Yeah. And then the bullet, he then he flinched, moved to the side. And that's why the bullet flew past. I do. It's especially so possible. With, especially with family members. Like, that's how he killed his grandfather. That's how he killed his grandmother. That's how he with killed the, his mom. With the, I'm assuming the same. Uh, I don't know for sure. A but, hunting I mean, rifle. Yeah. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Well, he didn't I, kill his mom with a gun, but he waited until she was asleep. Like, he very easily could have killed his mom when she was alive, but he waited for her to go to bed. And he even said, like, I didn't want her to suffer. It's like, you... But what? He, like, I, I, he, I, he had, like, a weird part of, like, mercy to him, but, like... Yeah. I don't know. It was very I, strange. I do think that her turning around probably saved her life. If he was serious, the fact that she turned around saved her life. Yeah. I, I think so too I think that that was an intentional thing and I think there was yeah I think she's very lucky to be alive yeah so um combined the the sister's temp- testimony combined with how kind of not seriously people took Ed's testimony um California was able to make the case that he was sane and he did understand that his actions were wrong mm-hmm. and he had shown signs of malice aforethought so. Yeah, back back to previous episode. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. When asked by the judge what he thought his punishment should be, Kemper asked for the death penalty. He actually asked for death by torture. 
specifically. Very reminiscent um, of his childhood games. Again, I told you that was creepy foreshadowing. This is like his childhood fantasies. He's like, please give me my childhood fantasy of being tortured to death. Um, but at the time, I think California had some sort of a like a, a, a stall on death penalty. No one was getting the death penalty at this time. So instead, he received eight concurrent life sentences. And on November 8th, 1973, the six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for a total of five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. Um, Good. But like we said earlier, due to the other laws in California at the time, Ed would eventually be eligible for parole. So... Uh, he was first eligible uh, in 1979. He was denied parole that year as well as at the parole hearings in 1980, 1981, and 1982. But as we have seen in the past, Ed is pretty good at playing these systems. He he knows the psychi- psychiatric system all too well and kind of knows what, just what to say. So on June 15th, 1988, Ed was denied parole again, even though a prison psychiatric evaluation termed uh, Kemper suitable for release. Luckily, a three-man, a three-member panel from the Board of Prison Terms re- was the one to step in and actually rejected the psychiatric evaluation by Dr. Jack Fleming. Thank goodness. Like, um, it's the, the, the short hood of human me- memory, right? This man They're kills. like, he's so good. He's a model prisoner. Let's just let him back out. It's fine. It's like this happened when he was 15, my guy. This guy, this man killed 10 people. 10 people, eight in a very, very small window. And he, one is eligible for parole. But 15 two, years later, he is, they're, they're like, he's fine. He's rehabilitated. Yeah, but yeah, but like one, he's eligible for parole just flat out. And two, the fact that he's convinced another lab coat man that he's like, yeah, yeah he's totally fine. There's no, to- no, this man would not harbor fly even though he has killed 10 people in his lifetime. Literally, he's like, I would trust him with my life. Yes, he's and got a sticker. Like, but he had a sticker. But he had the sticker. Like, yeah. So, again, thankfully, this board stepped in. Um, board member David Brown said Kemper poses an unreasonable risk to society. Yeah. During Ed's almost three hour hearing in front of the board, he told the panel that he did not practice cannibalism or perform sex acts on his victim when they were dead or dying. He said that he made those confessions to police when he was tired and confused. Regardless oh, of the plea, babe, Kemper, uh, so he was just so tired. He was so and tired. Confused. They oh. were talking to me so much, I didn't get to have my caffeine like I do. Oh. It was a bad time. I didn't guys. get my Can coffee. I didn't get my sunshine. Yeah. I was just really tired that day. Literally, it was pathetic that he even tried. So, oh my God. thankfully, again, regardless of this plea, Brown specifically told Kemper his crimes shock the public public conscious. Yeah. And yeah, Ed's final statement on it was society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. Yeah, no, no, duh. No shit, yeah. Sherlock. <laughs> you killed 10 people. You yeah, I don't think society people. is ready for that. I'm going to be honest. We're not currently parading around going, wow, you know who's an upstanding citizen? The co-ed killer himself, Ed Kemper. Let's give this yep. man a medal, release him from prison, and make him president. Let's just, like, yeah. society's so, not ready for a fucking serial killer. Mm, yeah. You might be he like tried. something. <laughs> He tried, but at least I guess he, d- he accepted defeat there. He was like, I, they're not ready for me. They're just not ready. They can't handle all this. I, I don't fault them for that. It's a lot, I know. It's like, come on, you're a fucking... 
cute type people. Oh, I know. Just the way, the way he speaks. Shut the fuck up, Ed. Right? Shut like, the fuck up, Ed Kemper. Yeah. That's it. That's the so. name of the episode. Shut the fuck, Shut up, the fuck Ed up, Ed Kemper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, we could put Shut the Bleep Up. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Who the bleep did I marry? <laughs> One of those titles. I'm good with that. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, he was denied parole again a handful more times throughout the years. Uh, specifically, prosecutor Adrian Simmons said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Yeah. Quite simply put, I mean, that's that's exactly it. I don't care how much of a model prisoner he is. Like, no. he murdered 10 people. I feel like just, you know, like, it, it, it's just so fucking wild to me. One, the eligibility for parole, he killed 10 people. I know. And Our justice like, system doesn't make sense sometimes uh, as far as that goes. Like, he's legally entitled to this right. But why? Like, why? I feel like it, if it's like he's eligible for parole for one of the killings, but he's not eligible for parole for the other seven. <laughs> yeah, like, right? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, just cur- fucking Ed Currently, fucking- uh... The last time that he was denied was in 2017, and like I told you at the beginning of the episode, he will be eligible again in 2024, but hopefully he will forever serve his life sentence at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. That's my hope. Oh, Ed motherfucking Kemper. The yeah. man, the myth, the piece of shit himself. What a, what a fucking, what a, just What? What? <laughs> Yeah. So I did have one more uh, recount from his sister saved. Again, I was trying not to read too much just direct testimony from people, but there was one more like little chilling story from his other sister, um, Susan. Mm-hmm. So about, uh, let me see, sometime in March in 1973, Kepper and his mother actually went off like on an off-roading trip um they took a jeep and clarnell actually injured her shoulder so kemper's sister susan swanson um because she got married that was her married name came Mm -hmm. and stayed with kemper and his mother on april 1st she would stay with them for 19 days so she left just 40 hours before ed made the decision or he maybe already made it at this point but just 40 hours later he would murder his own mother that so is... she recounts the ch- the last chilling days before she left. And there was actually just one little piece that really, really got me. So she said, I've never taken lessons in judo or karate, but I have picked up a few little things. I'm fascinated with the tournaments, watching the art. I wanted to show Kemper this new throw that I had picked up on television. Well, being 6'9 or whatever, I'm 6'1 or 6'5". Uh, and like a half inch myself so not a weakling and i was going to show him uh the thro- how the throw goes but i couldn't even waver him on his feet and he says he's standing there with his hands on his hips and goes what are you doing what are you trying to do so his sister was a pretty tall lady yeah so um, it sounds like tall right in the family yeah but she'd continue and she said oh i'm going to throw you you know we clowned around and made a little f- made fake little karate chops at each other i'm sure you can like imagine them kind of like it's so normal. It's so yeah. scarily normal. Wait, wait for your blood to run cold. So say if I came around the corner or something and he was coming around at the same time, kind of like a surprise, not to surprise each other, but just kind of bumping into each other coming around the corner, we'd go pow, pow with a few little phony karate things. But the most scary thing right now is how he would make a motion with his hand, like he would karate chop and lap off my head, and then he would hold out his hands as if he caught it. 
he, w- he would do that several times where he would make this kind of like little flap noise and karate chop her head and then like kind of like over exaggerate and like catch her head oh my god she said this motion especially now just with that whap and makes his little hand like he's catching my head and I'd laugh she said I just can't believe it now Imagine how truly blood-chilling that would be to hear the details of what happened to your own mother right after you had this, like, little, like, ha-ha, chopping off your head interaction with him. I ripped chilies, Rebecca. I got full rip chills. I knew it would do it. Yeah, that that was one of the most chilling parts. Like I said, I I just, I had to wait till the end because it's just, it's him fantasizing, playing out. How funny would it be? Ha-ha, I chopped your head off. As if he hadn't already done it several times before to people. But what if... What if this was an instinct at this point? Because he's he's decapitated people. He's chopped yeah. people's head off. What if that was something he had to do? While he was removing the heads of one of these women, that he actually had to catch it? Yeah, like, absolutely could have been. Like you said, he just swung so hard and the force caused the skull to roll and... That he's reenacting something. It was a muscle memory. Yeah. You, there's so much there that you could just... You could write theses on that. You could... But how haunting. And, like, it, it's so strange that he... Look, he, like, on the surface, he has, like, a very pleasant relationship with the sister. Like, they're play, they're play fighting and, they're and karate chopping. But yeah. he almost shot his other sister. Right? It as, makes you wonder. It does like, make you wonder. The whole dichotomy of that family is so strange. Like, well, and yeah, maybe we don't talk a lot about his relationship with the sisters because the mother, of course, is the fo- the focus. But what was his relationship with both of his sisters? You know, with, 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 you know, this friendly one where he's play fighting with her in the living room where he's later going to murder somebody. And this it, and sister his, was one. He actually walked the sister down the aisle. He's the one that gave her away at her wedding. So they yeah. were kind of close she got married i'm trying to remember what year she got married um it was right after i believe that he was released from prison so i think he was around 21 and he gave her away at her wedding like they were even after this like they were kind of a close family despite the weird toxic relationship that they seem to have underneath the surface yeah but then like the fact that he thought quote unquote was cleaning the gun pointing it at his other sister and you know narrowly miss shooting her in the head i'm like yeah maybe he had a favorite Maybe maybe one of them was was closer to the mother. Maybe the one that he handed away, maybe she was a much more neutral party where she was like, you know, mom's kind of mom's kind of loopy sometimes or like yeah, is like it they all- were on the same page as on that as far as that goes. Yeah, I don't know. Like mom, mom's a piece of work and the other sister was like, you can't talk to about mom that way. And it's like yeah. that and maybe, you know, if if Clarnell was favorite favoriting one sister over the other, maybe you know, I don't know what the the sisters did for their life, maybe their career or their professionalism or their personality or the way that they tied their shoes. I don't know. But they, what, the mother maybe gravitated to one toward the other. It's she so- clearly did pick favorites. Like you said, she didn't like Ed. So I'm assuming she probably maybe pitted her daughters against each other. I don't know. Oh, maybe there yeah. was that sort of resentment between the, the, the three of them. I don't... I yeah. really... I'm, I'm not the correct person to say, but no. it is something to speculate on because it is such a weird thing that he he clearly had the opportunity. She was there for 19 days from the 1st of January to the 19th, and then 40 hours later, either he made the decision while she was there, while he's sitting there pretending to, ha-ha, how funny would it be if I chop your head off, karate chop your head off? Like, it, did he already, had already made up his mind at that point? Was this a split decision? Like, when when was that decision for him? 
actually solidified in his brain. And that is the part that I'm curious about because these events are so chilling. Yeah, and it, it's 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 strange to me too because of course with his other sister he kept bringing up the Covid killer. You know, he's like, "That's the bitch yeah. where the head was found." Like, oh, yeah. that they found something over there. Like, did you know someone was murdered? He's actively bringing it up to the other with, with the mother and the other sister. But with this sister, it's like, "Huh, you know, we're just we're play fighting." It never came up for 19 days. He never once brought up the Covid killer. You never once felt like he needed to confess. And I think she probably, seeing what she recanted after this and going through all that, I think she probably would have mentioned that if that was something. Yeah, and I wonder, her presence in this house for 19 days might have diffused the environment to a degree, whereas with the other sister, it was escalating the environment to a degree. I don't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not qualified to diagnose in any way, shape or form. I'm not saying that I know this for certain. It's just a feeling that I have. So... But it's I, I definitely see the the parallels between how he behaved in front of both of his sisters, where one was almost like a soft confession and the other one was just yeah. we're having fun and it'll never yeah. come up. Yeah, absolutely. And it it's just it's wild to see. It's crazy that they even allowed us into their perspectives on this because this is something a lot of the time that happens, I mean, we saw it with Ed's fiance. I mean, if she if she really was 16 at the time, I don't blame her for wanting to keep quiet. But a lot of the times, families of killers don't want to yeah. talk about this kind of stuff. It's very difficult. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. This this is a sister who's completely innocent in this matter and going, I just lost my mother, and now my brother's going away for murder. That's really difficult. It's, it's brave of her to want to share these things with us, and it, it does let us kind of peek inside and get that extra perspective on the relationship, but it... In this case, it, it really does only raise more questions because it's just like, what was going on, Ed? Yeah. But at the same time, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, Ed, <laughs> but what the fuck was going on, Ed? Yeah, yeah, it's weird how that works. Like, I want to know, but I don't want to listen to him talk. Yeah. I, I, I had a hard time stomaching any actual interviews, listening to anything that he said. I really had to read a lot of written yeah. uh, transcripts of interviews and things like that just because it's, it's chilling. I mean, he so calmly will explain he killed people and it's just a very weird thing it's a very it's a very very weird thing so that i mean pretty much wraps up my actual story of what happened and the, the the aftermath the last thing that i really have on my list to talk about is just the influence that Ed really had on pop culture, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just his story, how crazy it was, really not only, I mean, impacted, like we said, law enforcement and just all of that, but it really played a big role on film and literature and mm. pop culture at the time. I mean, yeah. it was a big deal. We talked about this a little bit in part one. I was saying that I, I, I know references of him from, well, honestly, Hannibal Lecter with my first guess. And yeah. then his quotes in American Psycho. And it's like, you know, he, he even though he's an absolute fucking monster, like, and I'll be okay, kill 10 people, shut the fuck up at Kemper. He has had tremendous impact on us as a society and understanding serial killers and how we perceive serial killers almost to a degree where we, like, some people revere serial killers. Like... Ed Kemper's they glorify them. Ed Kemper is a heavyweight hitter when it, in the serial killer world. Like he is a he's he a is. he's a big boy. He like, is like and you know he gets a little outshined by uh, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, 
but the, I would argue that Ed Kemper was probably more influential. Right? I. It's weird, because when you really think about the, the impact he had, you're like, wow, how is he not talked about more? But at the same time, I think it's probably good, because I don't think he need, he deserves the notoriety, to be perfectly honest with you. No. And it's like, I could, like, I knew, I could have, t- I, when you started this episode, I could have told you exactly who Ed Kemper was and, and what he did in his stalking ground. I couldn't tell yeah. you a single name of his victims. Yeah. I couldn't tell you it was Cindy or Ico or, or anybody. And even now, it's like, with the amount of information that you've given me, this beautiful story, it's like, can I list all eight right off the top of my head right now? No, I cannot. Yeah. Not without referring back to, back, back to our notes or listening back to the episode. And yeah. it's so awful that 10 people had to die and all we remember of those 10 people is Ed motherfucking Kemper it is and it's it's the same unfortunate story that really does happen time and time again with these serial killers and they're the ones that are remembered when it really shouldn't be that way despite that um, creative people in the world have taken these things and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing they've managed to use these ideas in their in their works and like we said in one of the uh one of the first uh instances of him really being referenced was in silence of the lambs the book actually written by um thomas harris in 1988 um he was the inspiration for the character buffalo bill Mm -hmm. um who also at the beginning of the story killed his grandparents and um very the stories are very similar um and that's honestly silence of the lambs along with the i think it's red dragon is the other one and then like you said hannibal lecter those those movies are some of my favorite movies and i had no idea Mm. prior to this that he was actually like the the person behind that which is probably a good thing again i don't think the average person should just know the name ed kemper it's fine to know buffalo bill it's fine to know silence of the lambs but i don't think we should all know Ed Kemper's name specifically. Yeah, I, it's there's a there's a great example of this. Like, because I I don't know if you talk about this a little bit later, but American Psycho because my my go to mm-hmm. on the serial killer front, which of course is um, Patrick Bateman, played, yeah. by, Chris, played by Christian Bale, um, mm-hmm. and in that movie he actually says an Ed Kemper quote, which you didn't talk about, um, but it's um, when I see a pretty woman. Like, I think it's my, it's my next line. <laughs> it's your next line. Ba, da, ba, ba, da, ba. Um, yeah, because yeah. like, when I see a pretty woman, I'm going to do this off my head. I said, when I see a pretty woman, I think one of two things. One, I'd really like to take her to dinner. And two, I want to know what her head looks like on a stick. But You pretty much nailed it. But my favorite thing about that is that Chris, uh, I think Christian Bell was asked about this, or one of the writers was asked about this later. Like, well, that's such a weird line. And he's like, yeah, it was from Ed Gein. Misquoting. Yeah. And I'm like... I kind of like it, like because it's like we don't want to give Ed Kemper the credit for that, and yeah. it's like no, Ed Kemper didn't say that. That was Patrick Bateman said that in American Psycho, yeah. and that's it. In the movie, he actually part of him saying that he goes, you know what Ed Gein said about women? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things: one part of me wants to take her out to her, be real nice and sweet, and treat her right, and the other part of me wonders what her head would look like on a stick. Yeah, like you said, you nailed it. And in the movie, they attribute it to the other person. So he's Ed Kemper's probably sitting there going. That was me, that and was I hope he is. Line. I hope he's mad about it. Yeah, and I and I think it, like I think the situation in the movie is very similar to real life. I think he said like Ed Kemper said that like in, to a friend in a bar, and he was like, you know, like wouldn't it be crazy if? And it's probably that same conversation where he's like, never marry a woman who's smarter than you. It was probably yeah. in the, very much the same vein. Totally. Uh, and I just, but it's like, you know, it's kind of nice that we attribute it. Like we misquoted. It's like, oh, it's just like a guy right? said. 
It's almost like we're just trolling him forever because it's in the movie forever. (laughs) But then again, like also, a guy doesn't deserve to be credited either. So like, yeah, it's he is going to get his whole other episode one day, and we'll talk about the ramifications of that. Yes. Um, But yeah, like you said, 2000 film American Psycho. That was the other one. Um, There was another. I had two more notable ones on here specifically, which we kind of already even talked about. One, which was the uh, Mindhunter on Netflix, which Mm -hmm. came out in 2017. He was portrayed by a very tall actor, six five, Cameron Britton. Not tall enough. Not tall (laughs) enough, but he did a fantastic job. I think he actually won an Academy Award for this film. So don't quote me on this, but he did win some sort of an award for this, like Might for the acting in this. Because Emmy, an Emmy, maybe, TV shows? yeah, something Academy like that. Award is more films. I, um, I don't know. You, you're the one that knows. Not, you know. not as much as I used to know, baby. <laughs> so I think he got an Emmy for that. Possibly. Um, he got some sort of award, and it was sketchy, and it was very shiny. Yeah, it was. But the the sad part about that show is it actually wasn't renewed for a season three. So any spooky listeners out there, don't give it the time because you're just going to be disappointed when you get to the end of season two and there's no more. You heard it here so, first. Don't get invested in shows that don't get canceled. Don't get invested. It's, <laughs> it's good, but then there's just nothing. They lost budget. I don't know what the film, but yeah. Um, the other notable one that I had on here, there was, I guess, a, a horror film that was loosely based on Ed Kemper's Murdered, but the I guess I don't know why it said loosely. I guess maybe just because they didn't do a very accurate job, but it was literally titled Kemper the Co-Ed Killer. Oh, really? So I'm like, yeah, so I'm just kind of like, how is that loosely based on him when it has his name in the title? It sounds like it's like a documentary almost. <laughs> Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer, loosely based off of Ed Kemper, the co-ed <laughs> yeah, killer. I, no affiliation. I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. I think it was probably artistic license where it's like, we're going to make him kill 20 people instead of 10. And then he's going to go out in a beautiful fireball. And then we like arrest him. And like, yeah, it was probably like, yeah. he's too dumb to be revered in such an honorable way as having a, a movie based off of him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you should have a movie, but I do like the characters based off of him, that's for sure. Because I can yeah. like those guys without feeling guilty about it. Yeah, I think fictional serial killers, it's kind of fun to like get into that, that mindset where it's like, oh, you know, here's this very like smart and sophisticated, you know, calculating villain. But serial killers Lester sitting there listening to his classical music yeah. as he chops up and eats a person. One of my favorite scenes in a movie ever, and I don't mean for that to sound psychotic, but it is a a masterfully like put together scene it is so good but i would argue that fictional serial killers are 1000 percent smarter than real life serial killers real serial killers are dumbass motherfuckers as we've seen i never got fucking pulled over <laughs> real humans are very stupid like, it, there are so many killers as well that get pulled over for speeding or erratic driving, for look, yeah. looking suspicious, being nervous. And it's like, you didn't get caught for killing, you got caught for being a dumbass. And in this case, he literally, like, he just turned himself in, and I just don't understand. Like, if that, I don't know, if that was the goal the whole time, just so, why'd you leave jail to begin with? Yeah, so uh, my, my, my point to that would, yeah. Fictional serial killers are a lot of fun because they're smart, they're calculating, they're intelligent, and they're always... They're always, like, six steps ahead of everyone else. Real-life serial killers, lucky-ass motherfuckers is all they are. It's literally, yeah, just those random nat 20s that get them out of the shit situations. Yeah, and they, they don't rolled a two, them. but the rest of the world rolled a one. Like, that's it. Yeah, it's super, super strange. <sighs> but, yeah, that that is the story of the co-ed killer. I know, like you said, you knew most of it. I'm glad I could fill in some of those details for you. Yeah. We could really take the time to discuss all of the victims and give them a little you know, just a highlight about their life. Yeah. Would you mind reading their names again, just so we can just celebrate them without the context of Kemper? I think that would be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So we are remembering 
Ed's grandparents, Edmund Emil Kemper Sr. and his wife, Maud Matilda Kemper, as well as Mary Ann Pesce, Anita Luchessa, Ikoku, Cindy Shaw, Rosalind Heather Thorpe, Allison Helen Liu, as well as Sarah Taylor Hallett, Clarnell Elizabeth Strandberg. Yeah, rest in, rest in peace, everyone. I hope you're in a better place, and we're remembering you for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, like you said, it's the least we can do to look back and remember you in life instead of just death. Mm. And like you said, hopefully they are all just in a better place now. Yeah. And we'll put, make sure we'll post pictures of all of them as well on Instagram so you guys can see them. Uh, we'll Absolutely. release them based on which episode comes out. But yeah, it's just good to celebrate who they were and get them away from stupid motherfucking Ed Kemper. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with that being said, this is the end of my first high-profile case and my first two-parter. What a heckin' fucking doozy, ma'am. It really was. This one took a lot out of me to research. It took me a long time because I just I had to take a lot of mental health breaks. Which I don't blame you listeners too. If you need mental health breaks while you're listening, please take them. This these these topics are not easy to listen to. And I, it can be a lot on your heart, truly. So yeah. whenever you need it, whether it's after this episode, in the middle of an episode, please take those breaks. Make sure you're taking care of your mind too, because it's yeah. important. This is very heavy stuff, guys. No one is ever going to fault you for feeling overwhelmed or feeling sadness or just not being ready to listen to some of these topics. That's a hundred percent okay. The you know, go go take a break, go get touch some grass, breathe some fresh air, watch something fluffy, read a read your favorite book. It is a hundred percent a okay. Absolutely. Alana and I are here whenever you decide you wanna listen, if you ever want to listen, and there are thousands um, thousands of episodes that we are going to record and create that we already have recorded that are softer, fluffier, and they are a completely different ballpark. So, absolutely, that is the beauty of the spookery wheel. It's just giving us all those different categories, so we we don't spend too much time in dark places. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you did an amazing job with Ed Kemper. He is a he's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, shut the fuck up, Ed. Shut the fuck just, up, Ed Kemper. That's uh, <laughs> But you, you, you nailed it. You told the story. We, we, we were able to celebrate the, the victims in their lives and, you know, separate them a little bit from Ed Kemper. We were allowed to make fun of Ed Kemper. And Absolutely. You've just fucking nailed that. What an amazing high profile case to add to the heckin' frickin' spookery. I'm very honored to be able to tell the story. I'm very grateful for everyone who shared their experiences. So we were able to bring this to you today. Um, and yeah, lady, more than anything, I'm just glad you enjoyed it because you know, I always write my scripts just to be able to tell you a beautiful story. And if oh, anyone else ma'am. wants to listen, it just is cherry on top. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love this, especially since like, I, I, I live in the true crime wing of the, of the spookery and it was so awesome for you to kind of like shed light on something I did kind of know about and yeah. you just being able like, and us just being able to talk about it very organically, like, yeah, like this is an awful thing that happened. Wait, what happened? Yeah. And so we asked us, this was a very, this was a really fun episode to record with you, ma'am. Thank you for an amazing conversation. Thank you for an amazing depiction of the tale. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you. Your first two-parter. Welcome, oh to, welcome to episode length issues, <gasps> ma'am. It's all fun over the same. <laughs> I did not plan on this being a two-parter. This was the same length as my, this was shorter than my Bermuda Triangle script. And somehow we got through that one super quick. And this just took so much longer. It's crazy how that happens, but 
I'm glad we did it. I think we've learned, both of us have learned very quickly that our number of pages in our scripts mean nothing. It's not, it's not an indicator of anything. It's useless metrics. It is a wasted number. (laughs) It it does not allude to anything. It means nothing in this world. No. Your numbers, get them out of here. Page numbers, not today. Not today. Uh, But that's all right. I am ready to be done and put this case to rest. Can we spin that spookery wheel and give me my final category for the season, ma'am? I think the least I can do is spin the spookery wheel for the final time for season one and give you our season finale episode, ma'am. Final category of the season. I have one category. I'm not even going to lie. I genuinely, I haven't had one category in particular that I've gen- like wanted so bad, but I have a case. So I'm ready to go if I get this category. <laughs> so I have my fingers crossed, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Look, you are blessed by the spookery wheel. You always get what you want. But I feel like in this instance, because you have voiced this, you're never getting this case. I know. I ruined, I ruined it. I totally shot myself in the you foot. Are, if you had not said a single thing, you would have gotten it guaranteed. But because you have mentioned that you want something, the spooky wheel is like, "Mm, season finale, no. Yeah, it operates on spite, so like you said, I voiced it, it's not gonna... Yeah, and this is a little known fact, guys. The spooky wheel is fueled completely on vengeful spirits. On vengeful spirits. And they're full of spite. And that's what gets the wheel going. I don't actually spin the wheel. I just sort of think things near it, and it spins on its own. It goes. It knows. And when it it stops, nobody knows. Nobody knows. But we get a case out of it, so. (laughs) We do. All right, right. spookery spirits, please bless your girl. Right. Final spin of our first season, our season finale case. Gosh, my heart is pounding. Fucking go. Let's go, baby. Baby, you're spinning. I'm actually like <laughs> breathing heavy right now, man. Our season finale and your final case of the season, ma'am, is hauntings and spooky locations. Are you, we haven't had anything like up since Ouija episode. Like we have had spooky. no ghosts. <laughs> no up actual until ghosts. this point. You have hauntings and spooky locations, ma'am. That is our season fucking finale. What a cool way to round this Congratulations, ma'am. What? Oh my gosh. I don't have one ready to go. This is another one. I gotta dig. I gotta find something <laughs> good for this. I gotta consult. You gotta consult the spooky spirits. I do. They chose this for you. Haunted locations. Man, oh man. Hauntings and spooky locations. Let's go. What a fun Let's category. Go. Oh, that's so cool. What? A, I don't what even... A, what an awesome thing to end on. We we started with ghosts. We're ending with ghosts. I think it's a good way. Those are some good bookends for the spookery, ma'am. <laughs> We're having some great bookends this season. Like, whoo. That's awesome. Wow. We got a we got a repeat. We're getting two cult episodes. We're getting start. We started with ghosts. We're ending with gold. Like we had a lot of variety. Like we did. We had a heist. We had, uh, like you know, we had our our amazing Bonnie and Clyde like ballad, the three parter. There we had a Bermuda Triangle episode. We so many different things. We've had folklore. We've had fire. We've had murders. We've had time and space. We have had. We've had everything this season. We've really, we've gone in, I feel like, every direction at least a little bit. And this is this a very good a, coverage. It's been a very balanced season. I don't feel like this is ever going to happen. We're going to get an entirely no. ghost season next. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to get like an entirely true crime season. I and feel then we're that. only going to roll fire for an entire season. Right? Like, that's exactly <laughs> it. We're going to get a lot of something. But this but, one, for our yeah. first season, was very, 
very diverse. Like, I'm so happy with it. Congratulations on your haunted locations. Your first ghost, ma'am. Your first I'm ghost is so excited. Are you ready for me to bring the spook? I have I'm been ready for you to bring the spook since like ever. Ever. Since like, I've known you, I've been like, oh, that, that woman is going to bring me the spook. <laughs> Ma'am. She's going to be doing it. You knew it. You knew it. I did. Oh. I did. Well, <sighs> do you want to, with that, do you want to give us a little bit more of a teaser for your cult next week? I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but not too much. I still have no idea. It's such a hard one to tease. That's it's, fair. We, we teased it earlier. There, as of right now, as of the time of this recording, where I am in my script, there are no trigger warnings. So it's a bit of a palate cleanser to Ed Kemper. <laughs> um, it's both very similar to your cult episode and also completely different <laughs> which from your cult I, episode. I don't know how to interpret it. Which I feel like is very par for the course because it's a cult episode. So there has to be some kind of similarity. Yeah. Um, what can I tease? Uh, the, the, it is the cult aspect of my case is the least crazy part of my case. So they're really just an insane organization more than anything. <laughs> pretty, it pretty much it's they were a cult, but they are so much more than a cult. And are we talking about goop? Yes. I'm talking about Gwyneth's <laughs> cross. You guessed it. Uh, <laughs> There's no. We're talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's company. Brand. It's in the news where she's she's currently doing a lawsuit. It's not to date this recording. She's doing a lawsuit where she almost got hit by a skier, or maybe the skier skied into her. We don't know. We no, don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. No, I'm oh not doing God. goop. That's that's a joke. I'm doing the Paltrow. No, come for me. I. I'm sure you're great. I yeah. personally, I have no idea who skied into who. I don't really care. Don't come for me. <laughs> May somebody win. May somebody lose. I don't know. <laughs> May somebody May know. the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah, may your odds be ever in your favor. I'm not invested in any way, shape, or form. We've lost our Goop sponsorship. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we lost our Goop sponsorship. I'm so sorry, guys. Hate oh to break the news. Goodness. We were going to be sponsored for Goop next episode. We're not anymore. <laughs> I fucked that up before we even got it. <laughs> Whoops. I was going to tell you off the air, but here we are. Here we are. No, I think... <laughs> Uh, this one is it's like there's so much I want to say I'm like this is the one where this happens this is the one where this happens and I just feel like the less you know going into this the better so just when you see the title of next <laughs> week's episode in two weeks episode no no this is next yeah. week's episode this is part two <laughs> this Sorry. is part two <laughs> next week's episode just just roll with it just let it happen just let, just let it happen. happen. And that's hmm. all I'll say. <laughs> I'm ready. I can't wait. I, I don't think you're ready. Oh, never mind. I take it back. I don't think you're ready. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't think you're, I don't think anybody's ready. I think we're, we're going to... We'll get into it. We'll, I'll see you next week, guys, for my cult we'll episode. Because <laughs> the um, more I try and not talk about it, the more I want to talk about it. And I'm just going to ruin everything. So I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> To stop me from talking about this anymore, can you tell us where they can find us on? <laughs> yes. Spooky listeners, if you want to get some more Lady and Alana in your life, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at Spookery Podcast. And, Lady, where can they also find us? They can also find us on YouTube at Spookery Podcast. All of our episodes are up there, and you can comment, which is even weirder. <laughs> so, like, 
That's the commenting. Who does that? <laughs> Who comments these days? <laughs> um, and you can, of course, always send us a Gmail at spookery gmail, uh, spookery gmail at podcast.com. <laughs> podcast.com. <laughs> spookery podcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your theories. Send us your fan art. We're collecting it. We're not going to tell you why yet, but we are. Uh, yes. Uh, we got a secret project in the mix. We got a secret project in the mix. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. Make sure you guys, if you guys are liking the podcast so far, please leave a five-star review. It means the world to us. We're, I, I don't know, we just need validation, I guess. <laughs> we do. I need valid to tell me that we're doing a good job. I need someone to say that we're all, it's all right. <laughs> uh, no, uh, we're also collecting those. So if you send reviews, but you don't, it's not, it doesn't pop up yet, but you want to say something nice, you can send that at the Spook Group uh, Spooky Gmail at podcast.com. You sure can. Anything you got, pretty much. I mean, if it's related to the spookery and you want us to talk about it, you want us to see it, send yeah. it over. I mean, we are collecting, like I said, where we're collecting reviews, we're collecting cases, we're, anything you got, whether it's personal or it's just something you want us to talk about. Yeah, I think we're. I think that the moral of the story is we're hoarders, and we, we just are. like collecting things. <laughs> yeah, that's why we built a library was to hoard all the stories. That's... Yeah, it, that I think that's very telling. I think I need to go yeah. nap after this. <laughs> <laughs> we figured out our ammo. Yes. Oh. Perfect. Thank you, Mum. Thank you for an amazing story. Thank you for the hootinest, handiest two-parter that we ever done diddly see in this side of the spookery. In this side of the spookery. Buddy Clyde of possessing me again. Help me. <laughs> uh, on that note, on that note, until next time, stay spooky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As we float out in our ethereal essence. <laughs> As the bookery fades away into an incorporeal form. 3 a.m. approaches and the bookery must be closed. <laughs> it's little by little. Ah, oh, man.